as you work, building strong relationships, respecting others' expertise and, and being willing to ask for help and expertise from others and learn from them, that creates connection. I also love that today things like belonging and inclusion are increasingly important at companies, right? So you, know, you really do need to be yourself, but be yourself well, do the best you can. And you know, you are networking at work if you're doing your job right, because you are, you know, learning, expanding your network, thinking, thinking otherwise. You never know where a best practice from a different department or an insight you get from someone else is going to help you do your job better. Want to boost your productivity and decision making? Get vital insights from each episode delivered directly to your inbox. A great resource whether you've listened to the episode or not. Go to benfanning.com slash insight. Welcome back to Lead the Team with number one best-selling author and in-demand corporate trainer, Ben Fanning. On this podcast, the world's most innovative senior leaders share their top success strategies to motivate your direct reports, cultivate your top leaders, and accelerate your career. Let's get started. Here's Ben. Good day, everybody. Welcome back to the CEO Sessions. I've got Kathy Wolf here, who's President and Chief Executive Officer of the Global Growth Markets Group at Walters Kluwer. Founded back in 1836 and headquartered in the Netherlands, the company serves customers in over 180 countries. That's right, 180 countries. It maintains operations in over 40 countries and employs 18,600 people worldwide, which is much bigger than my hometown back in Alexander City, Alabama. They are a global leader in information services and solutions for professionals in the health, tax, and accounting, risk, and compliance, finance, and legal sectors. That's right. They cover pretty much every service imaginable. And Kathy has actually held leadership positions in the U.S. and over in the U.K. The track record of delivering strong results and innovation working across multiple segments in the company's global portfolio, which you can tell, I mean, they've got lots of countries and lots of different functions inside this organization that, that she's covering. She's earned her MBA from the University of Chicago Graduate School of Business and a BA degree in English from Cornell University up in Ithaca, New York. Kathy, welcome to the CEO Sessions. Ben, thank you so much for having me. I'm really thrilled to be here. Yeah, great. And we've we've been trying to schedule this everybody a couple of different times with Kathy's schedule, my work schedule, but we're here today, finally united. And let's kick this off. So people go to Kathy's profile on LinkedIn and it is jaw dropping how much time she's had with one company. She has been up, she is not like jump, 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 company to company to get to the top. She's actually doubled down at this stellar company and worked her way to the top. So Kathy, you've been with this company, Walters Clore, for 29 years and two months. What advice do you have for employees who are looking, and there may not be anybody else better qualified. What, what advice, answer this question, what advice do you have for people who want to get promoted inside their organization? Sure. You know, I started out um, in my first job, actually, at a subsidiary of what ultimately became Walters Kluwer. And then I, I left for a couple of years and lived in Japan. And when I came back, I actually had two job offers on the table and I picked Walters Kluwer because I knew a bit about the culture. I love that it was 
international, I saw it had opportunities. So I would say for, you know, anyone earlier in their career, we don't often think about, you know, the industry we're getting into and, and the long term prospects. But that was something in, in reflecting on my career, I thought, you know, you really should consider that as as a, as a young person. And, you know, generally, over time, I've, I've always been ambitious. In my first job after I got my MBA, I realized that I, you know, in, in observing the senior people around the business, I thought, I could do that. And that looks really, you know, really interesting, right? So I developed this ambition to become a CEO. And over time, I've kind of reflected on, you know, what, what have I done to keep moving my career forward? And there are three things. The first one is have a plan. Always think about where do you want to go next? What kind of skills and experience will you need to have when that opportunity comes up? Because you never know when it will come up. Um, and I think in sort of two, three year increments, I don't write it down. I do know people who do write it down. But for me, I don't. But I think about, you know, I need to do these things. Maybe it's also a personal skill. I need to get better at, at speaking on video or, or something else. And then I, I work on those things. And in some cases, I've moved up because a job has become available and I've applied for it and I've been able to prove I had the qualifications to do it. And in other cases, I've just been approached and asked to do something. And, you know, again, it's, it's about being prepared. You just don't know when those opportunities are, are going to come. And as part of that, one of the reasons I've gotten approached is the second part. So first is have a plan. Second part is know your value. And what I mean by that is think about what value are you providing to the company and whatever job you're in, you know, you should be contributing a whole lot more than, than they're spending on you and a real asset and, and value yeah. driver, right? That's how you get noticed. Yes. You're thinking about your salary. What is their return on investment and paying your salary plus benefits versus whatever uh, and other incentives. If you add all that together, let's just say it's a hundred thousand dollars. You got to be delivering way more than that, right? Yeah. Exactly. Makes yeah. Sense. And yeah. it's a great way to think of it because it just makes it very easy to think about and um, very practical. And those are the things, the things you do to, to make that happen, to add value are the things that get you noticed because not every employee does that. Um, the third element of my plan, um, I just call it, don't let the turkeys get you down um, because um, as you learn new things, you're going to make some mistakes. There might be people who um, you know, you, you don't get along with somewhere along the way or failures, um, or sometimes it's your own self-doubt. And, and so it's really just continuing to stay focused on your goals and move forward uh, with them. And one thing um, I can reflect on is I am not immune to being, you know, nervous or to being sensitive to criticism, but I've just never let that stop me. I pick myself up and, and move forward. I love that. So I've got a lot of questions on this. This is really good because it, it is so hard. It is so hard to find a CEO that's been with the company this long. So issues that pop up, and I'm going to love to sling a couple of these at you and sort of get your insights. Number one, getting pigeonholed. So say like you've been working in a company for, for you know, a couple of years and you're known, and I'm going to give you a specific example. So Way back in the day, uh, I was working for a company and I got known as the guy who could figure out how much could fit into a uh, truck and a trailer and calculate, do all these cost calculations, kind of calculate supply chain costs and stuff like that. I did not enjoy that work. 
Okay. I was out of college. It was getting me. I was going to travel. I was enjoying that, but not the specific work, but it's like, I was known as that guy and I was having a hard time breaking out of that. And I think a lot of people, like if you really do a good job, you're like, that is the person. And so what ends up happening is right. Like, like maybe they can't see you doing other kinds of jobs or even letting you advance. What, uh, what's your advice for someone that finds himself in that situation? That is a great question. And um, I've, I've spoken to many people who feel stuck. One thing is, and I did this uh, early in my career, I saw some other people being promoted and I wasn't being promoted. And so I went in and spoke to um, my manager and actually their manager um, and asked, what would it take? What do I need to do? And that's a hard thing to do. You know, you have to be brave because you have to be prepared for what you're gonna hear but you um, aren't going to learn or make it visible possibly that you're interested if you don't go and ask those questions. And then, you know, you need to, to respond to it, right? But at least then they know you're interested. And then if you start taking their advice, um, you know, they, they build confidence in you. And that has worked for me. You know, at that time back then, I didn't do that. And it was such a, I think that would have been incredibly proactive. I, will, I always felt like my boss should know what I want to do and they should be making a plan for me. And your very, your very first step uh, to having success inside your organizations have a plan. And I always thought like my boss should have a plan for me. And I bet a lot of listeners probably, even if they're doing it unconsciously, like if you don't have a plan, you're assuming the world's going to do it for you. And you just, that's just sort of like getting lucky from that standpoint, uh, which is dangerous. Yeah, and, and- yeah, and, and to build on that, it's also about being willing to take risks. So maybe take a job that's a little bit of a sideways move, uh, maybe not move up, uh, or take on a project that's maybe a little bit intimidating to you. So you also have to be willing to take some risks. Sometimes people say they want to get out of the pigeonhole, but it is their comfort zone, and they're afraid of failing. Oh, and boy. you can't be afraid of failing because you, sorry, you, you will fail no matter what you do at some point in your career, especially if you if you want to keep taking yeah. on new opportunities. I mean, I was in this situation years ago when I started my career and I've seen it in my clients. It's like, hey, when I'm a subject matter expert, I'm going to go do that job. Like when I know exactly how to do it, then I'm qualified to go get it. And that is not a helpful mindset for getting promoted. What you're, and I don't want to put words in your mouth, but it sounds like you're saying, hey, you need to know a little bit about it, but you become an expert by doing it, right? <laughs> Absolutely. Yes. You're never going to know everything about a job before you move in. And if you do, that's probably not the right step up. There always should be some element of challenge, right? But you know, you just need to be prepared to know how to, how to deal with that and learn some of it on the job. So someone that's been in a company this long, I mean, I, it's, what do you say to people who say, you know what? I don't believe in playing politics. I don't, you know, I, 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 I just don't believe in that. And you have to just, you know, uh, th- this whole idea of the, of the political dynamic, because to be in an organization, it, it's a, it's a big organization, but you see a lot of the same people a lot. You start to understand probably who some of the power brokers are. Some people are like, you know what? I'm not going to go have lunch with that person or go out to happy hour. But how essential uh, is this in, in, in people's challenging their belief about, hey, I don't want to play politics or I don't want to have to network at work to uh, work my way up? Yeah, I would say 
I've never enjoyed politics. I don't necessarily feel I'm good at them, but it kind of depends on how you define it, right? If you think mm. of it as maybe not being yourself or trying to flatter people when it's not sincere, that's not <laughs> yeah. authentic. Don't suck right? up. <laughs> I, you know, it's, I think a lot of people think of it that way. And I, you know, it's probably how the word, what the word means to me. So I just don't, don't use mm -hmm. the word, right? Mm -hmm. And, you know, what it's really about is as you work, building strong relationships, respecting others' expertise yeah. and, and being willing to ask for help and expertise from others and learn from them. That creates connection. I also love that today things like belonging and inclusion are increasingly important at, at companies, right? So you, you really do need to be yourself, but be yourself well, do the best you can. And you know, you are networking at work if you're doing your job, right? Because you are learning, expanding your network, thinking, thinking otherwise, you never know where a best practice from a different department or an insight you get from someone else is going to help you do your job better. So it's just in your interest and then to do a, do a good job. Now, I will say somewhere along the line, you know, we all fail. That can be hard, right? Because then you, you know, perceptions can change. You've got to kind of rebuild and, and accept that, that that might happen to you somewhere along the line. And the more senior you are, the more visible your failures are. Again, don't let the turkeys get you down. You just have to kind of go back to what do I need to do now to rebuild that? What do I need to do to succeed? But I, I don't think it is so much about politics as it is, you know, all the things I said and building relationships in, in how you do your work. Yeah, I like that. It really, the, the idea about sincerity and also what comes to mind uh, is being of service, like trying to help other people in the organization, even when they're not even your external or internal customer, but trying to be seen as a, as a helpful person, no matter the group. And I think in, in, in organizations, and we've done, my company, we've helped a lot of organizations with cross-functional communication. So it's working across functions. And it seems like the bigger companies are, the more difficult that becomes. And you throw in a global pandemic, it makes people maybe more, maybe more isolated. I think that there was a Microsoft uh, revealed a survey they in some research they'd done on their own employees. And since they all went remote, I think, as I recall, they found a lot of the information and the communication between like in this inside the silo, like the finance group stayed pretty strong, but what suffered was say finance working with marketing or the HR working with finance because they're just different groups. How, how do you think about that? And obviously that again, being a stranger in the pandemic, but it's a challenge Anyway, what are some strategies or recommendations you have for leaders who feel like the cross-functional side of it is suffering? Yeah, it's a great point. I think we're all most comfortable with our own team mm -hmm. and everybody's busy. So it does take effort. We also know from you know all of the evidence, diversity is what creates innovation. One uh, strategy that's worked well for me is to reach out and, and build the case for why we should work together. And in some cases, in fact, in the, in the current role I have, I, I need to work with lots of different groups and get help, but my organization is, is on the smaller side. So I really have to make that case. And sometimes it takes multiple approaches. You can't give up too early. And when you think about the most successful people in the world you hear about, they're successful because they have an idea and that they believe in and they stick with it, right? They don't give up. You, you can't give up too easily. So if you get a no the first time, 
come back with a bit more insight or ask for a conversation and, and just work on it. It takes time to build relationships. It takes time to get attention. It takes time to build understanding. And, and as you said, always, you know, be, be helpful the other way if you can. Make it easy for them, right, by explaining what you want. Maybe Maybe find some small step to work together or point out a process improvement that could help them. And you just have to be persistent. But, you know, once you get that connection, once you're in, you know, I've had it from a, you know, look, I'm busy, you're not a priority to, we should be working together, you know, within uh, a few nice. months, it can take uh, a little time. It can take a little yeah, time. Yeah. And I like the idea of just the simple edge of, Hey, don't give up. They may not like the first time you mention your idea, but it doesn't mean you should just shelve it immediately. It's just so easy, especially when you're early in your career to say, well, my boss doesn't like it. So I'm moving on. Maybe you do have to move on to something else, but you don't have to just shell the idea. You can bring it, bring it up and keep banging that drum of the idea and see, see how much traction you can get. Now, sort of thinking about your career, you said that you spent some time in Japan, right? Early on. I'm curious, did you pursue that assignment yourself? And is this something, did you have an international curiosity or that you discover early on or for yourself or what was the impetus there? Yes, I have always been interested in travel and I grew up in a family where we couldn't afford it. So it was my dream. And uh, as I got into college and met my future husband, you know, one of the things we did with our, you know, small amount of money is we kind of look in the newspaper for a cheap flight somewhere, you know, and, and go have an adventure, right? And, and it was just fun. I, I just really, really enjoy that, really enjoy learning about other cultures, seeing new things and seeing all the famous sites, you know, I, I heard about in my childhood. And at some point, we decided we wanted to go live in another country. So this was uh, right after we got married, we were 25. We took some classes in, in Japanese. We spoke to some people who'd been there. A lot of people had gone to, to speak or to teach English. My career was taking off actually in my in my first job. So right as I was about to give my notice, this was our choice. We were leaving to do this. We knew we wanted to go to graduate school as well. So it was kind of a logical break. But you know, I, I think the advice here is don't be so careerist that you don't also enjoy your life, right? I think it makes you a better, a better worker. But I was about to give my notice and I was offered a new role in another part of the company in New York. I was living in Washington, D.C. at the time. It was my dream to work in New York at some point as well. That was a difficult moment. And I went and got advice. I spoke to my mom. I, I actually spoke to my boss at the company. I said, here's what I'm thinking of doing. You know, spoke to some other older, you know, more experienced people. And everyone to a person said, Kathy, you're going to have plenty of time for your career you have no responsibility now, right? You're at a point in your life where you know you don't have kids, you don't have a mortgage, go for it, go have an adventure. And we did, and we were gonna do it for a year. We ended up doing it for two years, came back, I got my MBA after that, my husband got his PhD. But it was this amazing experience. And it did, actually it ended up doing well financially for us because the yen value was so good. We actually came back with a bit of chunk of money we didn't expect to have. And the experience, it was just so much to build confidence, think more about a diversity of perspectives. It was incredible, right? So things you do outside of work are also also important. If you just focus on your career, right? You know, Maybe you can get a little too caught up in it. Yeah, there's a common thread in a lot of these CEO sessions with executives who've spent time overseas. They just seem to see the world a little bit differently. No matter how much you read the Wall Street Journal or whatever, if you've actually lived in another country, that's quite different. It just changes your, your perspective. When you think about this sort of global mindset, what do you think is going on with that? Like, how do you think you changed 
or, or what changed and how you perceive the world from before you went to coming back two years later after you after you were in Japan? One of the, the things was when you travel, and you were telling me earlier, Ben, about your recent trip to Dallas and getting caught up in the snowstorm. When you travel, there, there are challenges that come up. And you know some of them were major in terms of their language differences. You don't understand how things work where you are. So not only did I live in Japan, I traveled all over Asia while I was there. And dealing with those challenges, it builds confidence, it builds problem solving skills. So I think that was one huge value. Another one is by having to learn about another culture at that close up level, you really start to think more about diversity and different perspectives. And sometimes I didn't like what what happened because at the time in Japan, you know, as a woman, I I would be in a meeting and somebody would speak to my boss who was male and blow smoke in my face as if I wasn't there. There were some situations I didn't like, but I had to say, okay, I need to understand where they're coming from. I'm a guest here. I'm an observer here. It wasn't all about me. And it, it really also taught me to kind of think about even perspectives I don't agree with and and be curious about, well, why are they doing that? And what can I learn from that? And how can I use that maybe to influence them or you know to make better decisions or interact with people better in another context? Get a simple tool to approximate your cost of turnover in 10 seconds or less. Right now, go to benfanning.com slash turnover. Did you know the average cost of turnover is $235,975 per employee per year. If you're like most leaders, you don't know your number. Go to benfanning.com slash turnover right now and download this simple tool to start getting a handle on this catastrophic cost. Well, all stuff you can't get in school. It's like stuff that you got to be out in the world experiencing it. and it becomes a little bit about survival, right? I mean, you weren't necessarily your life was threatened, but to be successful, to get through your day, you got to navigate not being treated well or to have smoke blown in your face or whatever it happens to be. And yeah, being in those positions, yeah, you figure it out, you build your confidence, you learn to rely on it. And here you are today working for a global company. And man, I bet those lessons come into play all the time for you. They do. And actually, my current role is managing three countries, China, India, and Brazil. And um, it, it comes in hugely, you know, in terms of really, I have always loved other cultures anyway. So it really is a great intersection of that experience and, and my love for, for travel and other cultures. Yeah. And Kathy kind of downplayed it, listeners, but I believe those are the three most populous countries in the world, right? Yep. Yep. <laughs> so, I mean, that's a lot of people we're talking about. So what's the one trait you wish you could instill in every employee and why? That's a really good question. I would sum it up as curiosity. And, and there are a few contexts for that. One is just keeping up with what's new, being curious about new things happening, even in the area you're in. A great example is sales. It's probably changed more in the past 10 or 15 years with automation and different kind of focus on the customer than maybe the last hundred before that. And if you're not curious and keeping up with that, you're not going to see how it's changing. And, and, you know, so that has actually a very strong impact on your job. A second reason is when you're dealing with other people who maybe 
are difficult in your perception, being curious has, has two benefits. One is it helps you feel less emotional. It's a bit almost like a science experiment, right? What, why is that person doing that? What's going on there, right? What are they really thinking? What are they trying to do here? And it gets you asking questions and, and you're going to learn more and you're, you have a much better chance if you're not caught up in the emotion of what maybe you don't like that you're getting from them or not getting from them. You're much more likely to maybe find points of connection or find a path to a to a good solution for you. The other thing that I learned recently about curiosity, and it makes so much sense, is it actually helps you control your own stress levels because it kind of removes you. It's it's again, it's a bit like a science experiment. It kind of removes you from the emotion of whatever you're doing a bit. So it's more about learning than it is about about you and what you're trying to get. That is just, that is so powerful. And I love that last bit because a lot of people do forget about that. Hey, curiosity can help you in these ways, but you think about it from reducing your stress level. It does make, it's more of an appreciative inquiry approach where you're thinking about it from a, you know, wow, like as a test, like this is happening. Why is this happening? If I try this, what happens? And it allows you to try new things, to be open to new conversations, which ultimately propel us forward. And man, I think the people that experienced um, the pandemic, at least partially, it wasn't always easy, but but partially through a lens of curiosity, like, why are we freaking out so much about this? Or, you know, what is creating this response allowed us to towards, allow people to take a step back, take a bird's eye perspective and identify the opportunity. Uh, how, how did you see curiosity playing out for you personally or in the organization during the pandemic? Yes. Well, everybody was, was struggling. So initially it was just figuring out what was going on and, you know, what are we going to do in terms of running the business? So as the person who works with our team in China, I was one of the first people to deal with that. Not, not like they were, but you know, in terms of yeah, but that's where the that. pandemic hit first, exactly. was China. Yeah. So that's where we, the rest of the world was observing what was happening. Mm-hmm. Yeah, complete shock, no playbook. I had actually been visiting there in December, right? So it was probably starting to to circulate around, which was sort of interesting to to think about. And my general manager in China shared, you know, first she panicked <laughs> for a day or two. Then, uh, you know, she she just started working with her team to figure out what to do. And it was very, you know, there was no playbook, right? N- nobody had dealt with this yet. So it really was about getting everyone engaged because they were all stressed too. So this whole curiosity thing to like focus on something other than their own worry, she shared was very helpful actually, because they were now problem solving and focused on that. And they came up with some really creative ideas for how to start engaging customers. They actually grew more in 2020 than they did in 2019. And that was partly because, you know, of some of these ways that they engage with their customers during the pandemic, they really strengthened relationships. And then that led to more sales. A total theme too, I'm seeing with executives that reflect upon that time. Those that almost, it's like the curve was happening and they were going into the curve and we're attacking the situation. We're going to be of service. We're going to help. We're going to see it as an opportunity. And yeah, 
a big year. I mean, it's similar for us. I, I panicked for days as the speaking engagements I had booked evaporated. And then a couple of my assistants and I, we were gone. We were calling all those events and saying, hey, we'll do webinars for, you know, we'll add more value that way. And that led to a lot of new opportunities that led to this podcast eventually that I'm on uh, here. I don't know if we would be connecting otherwise if it wasn't for that crazy pandemic. So I love the fact that you, you and your team took that approach in China early on, very early on. Uh, one of the things that, that we talk a lot about is the catastrophic cost of turnover. Our, our organization's research shows that it can be more than $235,000 per employee per year when you include not just the cost of hiring, but the loss of productivity and the desk sitting empty and just you know the cost of bringing more people in uh, to fill those roles. Do you believe that this is a cost that organizations should be tracking? Absolutely. And it's become a bigger challenge in the pandemic, but I also think it's led to some better practices and, okay. and opportunities. So, you know, I think many people, certainly in the US, but we're seeing it also in places like India, they are finding lots of opportunities right now in the pandemic as their, you know, investments going on, companies are doing new things or, or you know, as the economy recovers and opportunities open up. And I actually was talking to our chief human resources officer on this topic, and he had has done quite a lot of research, you know, networking around to see, you know, what are the best practices. And, and his conclusion is nobody knows the full right answer yet. But there's some really, really great insights and there are things we're, we're seeing as well. So one is you can't use just money to keep people working over the long term if your culture isn't good. So that's really important. On the other hand, you do have to be competitive financially because that's an important element of everybody's job decision. The other issue that's come to light, and I, I feel in, in my experience, it, it seems to be a new theme, which is HR is not one thing for everybody. There's actually quite a diversity of needs, and that's really come out during the pandemic, right? Some people want to work in the office all the time, some don't, some want hybrid, but also it's really raised visibility around different segments of the workforce want different things. It might have to do with where they are in their you know, career and life stage, it might have to do with whether or not they have children might have to do with how many years they've worked for the company. So what we're doing is we've created a task force and we're using traditional marketing and product development methodologies to get feedback, use data, create segments so that we can more, you know, create a program that, you know, meets the needs of, of you know, the different segments of the group versus, uh, you know, typically I think companies have traditionally done more of a, a one size fits all. So again, I love the, the innovation connection of using best practices from a totally different discipline in this one. And, you know, so that's starting to, to reveal things that will really help us be much more customer focused in terms of how we deliver HR. I love that. And it makes so much sense, especially in your, in your organization, because you guys obviously do a lot of that kind of activity for clients. And I love the fact that you're turning the lens on yourselves and your own employees. You're like, hey, how can we get to know our employees a little bit better and craft a work situation that is more flexible to meet their needs. I see this all the time where people call me and we on the phone and they're immediately like, Ben, you know, we're, we're paying above market or salaries. We've, you know, we've got these competitive benefits. We've got 
free coffee if they ever come into the office. We have all these things. We have yoga, virtual yoga, but we're still losing them. And I think your your point is so on mark that there's a diversity appears in a lot of different ways. And one is where we are in our lives and the kind of things that we want. You know, sometimes it's more flexibility. Sometimes it's the workplace, the culture. It's a it's a promotion opportunity. And by getting to know what that is for a workforce, you can better tailor. And, and I'll say make a wiser investment. It's like I, I was talking to somebody the other day. It's like where you are sort of in your own personal life cycle should it should impact your asset allocation for your 401k and your investment decisions. If you're getting closer to retirement, you're not just going all in on, you know, small cap tech. <laughs> you're being more conservative with it. So just take that approach to your employees. Yep. And I think the other element is the increasing importance of diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging. And really, again, being much more segment focused and much more just focused on these these general issues, which I think we would all say we believe in, but you know, really putting our money where our mouth is in terms of actions to move those things forward. I think that was already starting to happen before the pandemic, but you know, whether it's from investors or employees or, or you know, employee prospects who have much more power these days, it's really come up on the the importance scale, which, you know, as a as a woman from a financially challenged background in the workforce is really meaningful to me. So that's the other element. It's really work on on, you know, the the connection uh, with individual side of things. Yeah. Talking about DE and I being so important. I mean, you would be hard pressed to get a single executive on who wouldn't say that's important, but you're right. It's easy to say it's important and it's a lot harder to be like, this is how we're investing in that area to make it happen. And so finding ways that people can look at the organization, they can look at the board, they can see where your investments are. They can look at the employee base and your leadership and your succession planning and see it appear. That can be a long road, a worthwhile road, but it's a long road. So having a plan in place, going back to your early thing, earlier note about, about getting promoted, having a proactive plan in place is where it all starts. I think a lot of organizations are kind of falling down on the DEI front because it's just so overwhelming. And if the organization hasn't taken strides in the past or significant ones, they're just like, man, this is just just too much. And so having just taking the time to put a plan in place can make a big difference. Yeah. And actually something we've been very strong at for a long time is gender diversity. And it's really because our, our chairman, Nancy McKinstry, made that a goal. And it's interesting because I was asked to speak at a, at a company at an internal meeting, which was part of a, a diversity group that they have. And it was a lot of women, some men, and their senior leaders came, which was great. But one of the senior leaders asked me, well, how are you so successful at that? And I said, you know, we don't have anything like this group, which I mean, maybe is our, our myth. It's a great group because they bring in internal and external speakers. But I said, what we do is very simple. We make sure we have women on the slate. And if you don't have them on the slate, they're not going to get considered for the job. Then, then, you know, once they're on the slate, they have to compete and win, you know, be the best candidate. But if you don't have any on the slate, it's not going to happen. It's not about these, these activities are great. Don't get me wrong. But I think that's a very simple thing. You know, and I've heard it said as well, uh, in some of my networking, people will say, if you, you know, if you want more people, you know, whether of an ethnicity or, or, you know, gender, whatever, just hire them. <laughs> you know, put them yeah, on and the it's, I like that because it's a, it's a very practical action, right? The first step is, are they in the interview? 
right? Are they getting on the slate of speakers? Are they, are they getting interviews for the job? And it reminds me of the Rooney rule, which is, you know, got really getting a lot of press right now in the NFL. Like, do you have African-American coaches getting interviewed for the job? If they're not even people say, well, maybe they're not in the interview, but they're not being taken seriously. Okay. But are they even getting the interview, getting an interview? In the first place. And so, uh, yeah, those practical steps and taking it sort of an up a level from a leadership perspective, I think a lot can get lost in translation leading on this or any other issue when people choose to stay too strategic and they don't think about things that the employees can do. It's, it's the same way when I conduct leadership training. I can never, and I'm so sensitive to this, having been to so many leadership trainings myself, I didn't learn a lot about leadership where we, we stayed so high level and so abstract, it never translated very easily to the workday. And so um, anyway, I, I love your comment on that with helping people translate it to, to, to their actions. Yeah. I mean, both are very important, right? The strategy really helps you over time, but yes, you need practical steps in the, in the meantime. And it's usually simpler than than, you know, it first seems. So um, kind of sticking with the turnover question for a second, without including names, of course, what's your most colorful story of when someone quit or was fired? It's a, it's a quit story. And it actually is our global chairman, Nancy McKinstry. She worked for the company for a number of years. In fact, she hired me and then she left. And, you know, I, I can't tell her story of exactly why she not left. Not because she I, hired you. No, no, I hope not. No. Because <laughs> you're know. still there. I'm still there, yeah. but she left and, you know, I, I get the sense it was maybe she felt like, you know, there wasn't enough next step opportunity for her at the time. So she was gone. I don't know. It was two, three years. The company was then hiring a new global, you know, CEO and she came back and, you know, was able to, she knew the company well enough to say, here's what I do. Here's how, here's how you can, you know, transform. We were a mostly print publishing company starting to, you know, wanting to move more into, you know, the digital world. And she, you know, came back and, you know, interviewed for the job. And she's now been here about 20 years in that role and has just done this incredible transformation of the business. But thank goodness, you know, the company was able to bring her back because she had the context. She knows the business so well. I mean, it was a not this isn't a, a possibility for everyone, but I think one advantage is she really knows some of the nitty gritty of the core businesses. But then at the same time, right, is able to bring in her, her skill as a senior leader. I think it really helps her connect with employees as well. A really nice example there of a boomerang employee <laughs> that comes back and comes back at the highest level of the company. And sometimes, uh, yeah, you, you go away, you come back and one from a comp from a leadership standpoint, a great example there of maintaining good relationships with employees who leave the organization, because who knows, they may come back one day and be your boss. <laughs> yep. Yep. And I, and I left, you know, the subsidiary went to Japan for two years and I came back, I, I was getting my MBA. I went to my former manager um, who was president of this little company I worked for and I uh, needed a letter of recommendation. And he wrote it and he said, by the way, if you're going to Chicago, you should meet this, this woman, Nancy McKinstry. She's really, really dynamic was the the, the word wow. I remember. Cool. So I did I interviewed, I interviewed elsewhere. And, you know, as I said, I had a couple job, job offers, but uh, I, I went with, uh, wasn't Walter Skluwer at the time. It was uh, another company, but what ultimately became Walter Skluwer. So what's the time you had an unexpected twist or failure in your career and how did it lead to your success or growth on down the road? 
Yes, well, my career, I don't know. I think every career is full of many unexpected twists and certainly, you know, some, some failures that yeah. you learn. I was interviewing for my first CEO role in, um, it was in the US in a group I was working in. And I flew to New York and actually had to go meet with Nancy as part of the process. And she kept talking about the UK instead of this job. And she asked me, would I be willing to move to the UK and take over a business there? which was completely shocking. Um, You're like, say what? what <laughs> I thought we were talking about this. No, we're talking exactly. about- Exactly. She didn't ask me for an answer there, right? And I, I thought about it a little bit. And again, it, it matched up really nicely with things that you know are interest me. And it was another, another CEO role. And uh, I did end up taking it. I, uh, at the time, had um, children who were five and seven years old. So, you know, they were going to go to UK schools. Wow, big change. Yeah, my husband was a professor and wanted to write a book. So it kind of worked out for him. He said, decided he would work on the book, which was ultimately published. And we moved there and it was just an incredible career and life experience, right? That I, I just never would have thought about otherwise. I think it goes back to you just don't know where those opportunities are going to come from. And, you know, part of the strategy is just expose yourself to them. You know, whether it's through, you know, by having having a network, you know, it is worth doing it. Even if it's uncomfortable, go for it, try it, because it, it, you never know where the next idea or opportunity is going to come from. And if you're not visible, it won't come. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, that's a heck of a twist. Uh, I can see you flying back from New York and you're having dinner and he's like, Kathy, welcome home. How's your trip? Do you get the job? And you're like, well, how do you feel about moving to the UK? He's like, what? I thought we were going to move to New York. No, we're going. London or whatever. So, and I sense that since you'd already been to Japan though, you were maybe a little bit more open to this, but it's different doing it with kids for sure. I suspect. I mean, that's. Yes. Although they loved it. They went to yeah. British school and, and had a wonderful experience, but yeah, I think my husband was an easy yes, because of the same, we both love travel. That's always something we've shared. All right. So I'm done to ask you, what is your most memorable travel story? Oh my gosh, there are so many. I mean, just some hilarious ones in when I was in Asia, you know, just with various bathroom facilities being very unusual. One was <laughs> yes. two, two boards, two wooden boards balanced over a deep pit that I had to pay to use. I had to pay them. One wrong move and you were going into the, you know what? Oh, yeah. wow. Yeah, the one thing that always strikes me about Asia. So I've traveled extensively in Latin America and in Asia, but less in Asia. And when you go to Latin America, you can sort of, there's some familiarity to the, to, to be in there. But when you land in Japan or you land in China, you really feel like you're in a different place. Language wise, it really can push you in ways as a traveler that being in some other areas of the world, like Europe or Latin America, just doesn't because it's just so different and it's got to be, and I, th I think it's so good for you in terms of, you know, having that experience. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's way less, I mean, it's different, I think in, in a, in a mostly good, good way, you know, other mm -hmm. than sometimes yeah. you don't understand like, how do I get the train ticket or whatever, right, those frustrations. Right. Yeah. But, but it is, I think with, with um, globalization, you know, being so far along, it's not as different as it used to be, right? You see some of the same brands, whether restaurants or retail, English is, you know, spoken pretty well everywhere I've been. And I've, I've visited probably about 
well, definitely more than 40 countries. I don't know the exact number. It's interesting, you know, in many ways, people are people. So, so do you have a favorite city that you like to visit? I don't. I really love them all. I've had just so many amazing experiences. So no, I, I think they're all fun, which is, I mean, I do love travel. Maybe I'm, you know, not the typical just to, person. Just to be way. out and about. Yeah. I always yeah. encourage, I always try to ask my wife, like her favorite, this and that. She's like, Ben, I'm not a ranker. I'm not going to rank anything. Quit asking me. <laughs> I, I agree with that. I like that answer. Yeah. Oh, so just, just another question or two here, Kathy, what, what are three success strategies that all employees need to understand? I think that goes back to, you know, being my, my have a plan, um, you know, know your value and don't let the turkeys get you down. So however you want to call it, right. It is thinking ahead, always thinking a little bit ahead, even at this point, right. I'm, I'm, I've been in my career a long time. And, you know, it's still thinking ahead. What do I want to do next? How, you know, how do I keep up with new things? How, you know, how do I add more value to my team and the company? Um, so always, always having that plan, you know, thinking about that value and, and, you know, the turkeys and the, and the self-doubt never go completely away. So it really works throughout your career. Yeah, I love exactly it. Changes, Definitely but- great, great success strategies there. Yeah. Don't let the turkeys get you down. I'm telling you what. That is a big one, especially as you, as you seek to get promoted because a couple of no's can get you down and keep you from striving and, uh, don't quit, keep getting that feedback. And as you guys were talking about earlier, approach it from a curiosity standpoint, maybe why am I not getting promoted and have those conversations start to start to rise up. Uh, what's a tool or gadget that's contributed to your success? that listeners could go out and purchase? Not so much a tool or gadget, but some resources and and services. I love Harvard Business Review. Always gets me thinking. Lots of um, interesting practices to try there. They have also some great podcasts. There's one, I've forgotten the exact name of it, but there, there are a few of them. There's one where... They speak to leaders who have challenges in the workplace that usually you can relate to in, in some way, um, which I think are really great. And they're, you know, the great listen to lunch, you know, while you have your sandwich kind of um, listen over lunch, while you have your sandwich kind of thing. Um, I joined a networking group. I, I Networking was not my comfort zone. And I forced myself to learn how. And then once you get comfortable with it, it is so much fun. You meet so many people. And I joined a networking group called Chief. A couple of years ago, and um, chief, yeah, it's uh, it's um, all um, well. Men are allowed to join, but it is focused on getting more women in the C-suite. It is mostly women, and um, and you have to be at a VP um, level or above. And they have they have lots of great content speakers. They had Michelle Obama the other night, actually. I think um, I've heard of well. her. Yeah, a lot of <laughs> a lot of very very practical. Um, tools, and then a lot of networking. Um, you know, I belong to a group of women over 50, incredibly impressive group of, of um, women. There's one woman well into her 70s, still, you know, killing it um, in the business world. And um, uh, so, you know, just lots to get out of there, lots, you know, whether personal help or professional help, they are so, so willing to contribute. And I just learned from, from them and, and from the content. Um, this year also I gave myself a Christmas gift and I subscribed to masterclass, 
I don't know if you've heard of it, but it's uh, it's actually you know the you know very famous people talking about their craft, you know, whether it's Bill Clinton on leadership or RuPaul on being your authentic self, or they've got various chefs, runners, um, also business people. It's um, really great. And what I love about it is I, I'm listening to something by Usher, the rapper, right now on, you know, how to create a presentation. You know, he's talking about his craft, but there are things I could learn from that. It's just, I love doing something that's just a little bit outside my, or, or well, in this case, well outside my um, my area of expertise because I do think that diversity of um, of content really makes you a, a more interesting and, and better person. A little side note on Usher. We went to see Chicago uh, in Chicago a couple of years ago and Usher was in it. And it was a it was a fun production. And uh, actually we, we we was in New York and every time Usher would step on the stage, the crowd was screaming so loudly, you could barely hear what Usher was saying. Because he has he has such a huge cult following and they travel to see him everywhere. I mean, it's if you're into yeah. Usher, you're like way into Usher with this. And what I saw in this masterclass, I'm not done with it, but he's clearly very authentic. He, he you know comes across as authentic. He talks a lot about failure and persistence. Um, and, and just getting up and, and moving forward and learning. Yeah. So really, you know, similar themes that, uh, that we see in business. I might, I might add a couple of success tips for every employee from what you just said. So you HBR, Harvard business review, uh, expanding your mind and in the masterclass really in choosing, I think leaders sometimes don't feel like investing in themselves, like spending their own hard earned dollars. Uh, on that, on their own personal and professional development. And I think doing some research, finding something that resonates with you uh, is, is a really great way to do that. And then you mentioned those networking groups like, like Chief. That's again, that's outside of work activity, but it adds such richness to your professional and your personal life. And uh, being proactive and seeking those groups out, I think is a is, is a really great way to level up as a leader. Uh, as we wrap up here, Kathy, what's your parting thought for the listeners today? I think, um, think about what you want and go for it. Don't let self-doubt or, you know, the 10 excuses we can all come up with stop you. Just do it. Take one step. And, you know, I think you'll be really happy with the, the result. I think, you know, that life is all about curiosity and, and making the most of it. I love it. Thanks, Kathy. If you're an executive at a crossroads in your career and thinking about quitting, do this before you do anything else. Head over to benfanning.com slash quit to receive a free signed copy of my number one best-selling book, The Quit Alternative, The Blueprint for Creating the Job You Love Without Quitting. You'll learn the critical questions you must answer before you make such an impactful decision. Go to benfanning.com slash quit to get this valuable resource for just the cost of shipping. Ben Fanning is a number one best-selling author, Inc. Magazine columnist, and CEO of the Fanning Group, an international consultancy and corporate training company. To learn how they can help your organization, go to benfanning.com.